nothing we can do about the collective stupidity of government other than figure out how to exploit it. This is an economy of one. Your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. The market no longer is the invisible hand of mutual gain, but the choking grip of political self-interest. Liberty is not given. It must be taken. Let's take it back together today. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one with Gary Rathman, CEO of Private Wealth Consultants and your free market voice of the U.S. This is Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Our website, economyofone.com. An economy of one.com, as is our Facebook. Joining me now is Dinesh D'Souza. He's an author whose books include Stealing America, What My Experience with Criminal Gangs Taught Me About Obama, Hillary, and the Democratic Party. America, Imagine a World Without Her. And this year's number one political documentary, Hillary's America, now available on DVD. Dinesh, welcome back to An Economy of One. Uh, hey, good to be on the show. You know, uh, I got to tell you, before we get started, you got me three times. I paid to go see your documentary, Hillary's America, and then I bought the book, and then I bought the DVD. So <laughs> you've, uh, uh, it was very haunting for me. I mean, that was so well done, and uh, I felt a lot of anxiety through that. Having said all that, how big of a bullet did we dodge a couple weeks ago? Uh, it was a it was a really big one, and uh, quite honestly, even on election day, I did not know what to expect. Uh, I stay out of the prognostication business, so I hadn't predicted anything, uh, but I ha- kind of had a bad feeling about it. I just thought that the forces in favor of Hillary were so terrifyingly strong, and moreover, there had been a kind of revolt within the Republican Party, so I realized it would be very difficult for Trump to pull it off, but he did. How did that happen? I mean, I, I went to bed at 9.30. I couldn't watch it. I just figured I would deal with Hillary in the morning. And I uh, woke well, up at 5, and it was all over. Mm-hmm. You know, I think this was a case where um, the credit goes mostly to Trump himself because he figured out something that no one else uh, seems to have figured out, and that is a way to appeal to these working-class Democrats Uh, I guess we used to call them the Reagan Democrats in the 80s. But ever since then, Republicans have not succeeded in winning this group. And they've tried to do it, but they have tried to do it by and large by using, you could say, social issues, issues like um, pro-life. And the hope was that those issues would override the economic issues. But with Trump, he made the, uh, I think, ingenious calculation to appeal to these voters on the basis of economic and social issues. Uh, and I think that that, was a, that proved to be a winning combination. I think you're absolutely right. He sent a message or communicated to people that were felt largely ignored and uh, fairly well abused in the system. In your opinion, I mean, you, you're, you study this stuff. Do you think the Republican Party learned anything? No, I think the Republican <laughs> Party is in really bad shape, and it is, uh, it's rudderless. It has essentially been leaderless. Um, it has been um, really, uh, I think, uh, it, is, it has squandered uh, elections. It has squandered mandates it's had in the past. 
it's a party that does need to be rebuilt from the ground up. And I think that's really part of what Trump's candidacy signals is not a desire to remake conservatism or the right, but a desire to remake the GOP. And to my way of thinking, that is a task that is very overdue. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hope he can do it. I mean, it's, it, it was amazing to me how many Republican leaders, if we want to call them that, were shameless against complaining about Trump. Kasich, our own governor here, uh, made a big deal about voting for John McCain as a write-in. And, and uh, I would have thought these guys have been a little more politically astute, thinking ahead that just in case this guy won, you wouldn't really want to be in that position, but... No, I, I, I mean, so. it's, un, it's un, you know, it's unconscionable. Look at the Democrats. I mean, they nominate somebody who is under FBI investigation, mm. who has essentially been one step of the posse, her, ahead of the posse her whole career. And yet the Democratic Party is unified almost to a man uh, on her behalf. Not a single prominent Democrat, for example, calls on her to step aside. Uh, but in the Republican Party, you've got this sort of chaos. And, you know, literally half the candidates on that 17-man podium uh, turned against Trump. Right. And so this is very, very bad behavior. And, and I think, you know, it is to Trump's credit that he's showing a certain degree of magnanimity, even to some of those guys, and considering them for positions in the government. You know, one of the, the um, characteristics of Donald Trump that I've said from the beginning was he's a businessman. And he's an entrepreneur. He knows the bottom line. And he's going to surround himself, I think, with really, really good people and not be too concerned with surrounding himself with the politically correct image of people. Do you get that feeling also? Uh, I do. I mean, I do think that there is a um, there's going to be a very strong effort to try to destroy his uh, his presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, the left from the beginning, and this is this was promoted in the media. It was an essentially endorsed by both Obama and Hillary. The idea that somehow Trump is an illegitimate candidate. He doesn't even have a right to run. And so even if he wins a free and fair election, somehow he has no right to become the president. That is the underlying emotional uh, message of these protests. I mean, what is the point of protesting a free election? Uh, yes, we can understand you're unhappy that you lost, but I mean, Republicans have been living with defeat now. They've mm-hmm. for, for the two Obama terms, and before that, the two Clinton terms. Uh, so uh, I think that there's this idea that sort of we've got to make sure that Trump fails because if, because Trump's success would signal something like, from the point of view of the left, of course, the return of bigotry in, in America. Yeah, you know, I find it interesting. I did a segment earlier that the losers are looking at all different situations. And one of them is to eliminate the Electoral College because they claim that Hillary received the popular vote. Now, we've seen reports, I'm not sure how accurate they are, on uh, 3 million illegal aliens voting. And we generally know what side of the ballot they vote on. But uh, I think the Electoral College is, is somewhat genius from our founding fathers. Well, let's remember that the United States was created by uh, a a kind of a compact or an agreement of states that came together into a union. Now, the the states came together on the basis of a fear that the big states would swallow up the small states, and the small states would essentially have no influence whatsoever. In order to meet that concern— And also in order to emphasize that we have a government that doesn't just have majority rule, 
with majority rule balanced by minority right, as well as all kinds of checks and balances to keep even the majority in check. That's our system. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a complex mix. Uh, and so the Electoral College essentially is a way to give some of the smaller states adequate representation so they don't get overrun by the bigger states. So there's a, there's a logic underlying all this. And by the way, the liberals know this. I mean, they didn't complain. Look, when Obama defeated McCain or even when he defeated Romney, his electoral majority was much, much bigger than his actual popular majority. But nobody complained about that and said, well, isn't this weird that Obama has so many more electoral votes, even though he only won by a few percentage points? Right. Uh, but now it's become an issue because, of course, the, the shoe is on the other foot, so to speak. So I think this is, um, this is simply a, you know, a kind of silliness. It's like complaining. It's like saying, listen, I played a tennis match and I lost three sets to two, but I won more overall points, so the match should be awarded to me. Excellent. Well, we got just uh, a few seconds left, Anish. Uh, I wanted to just mention your documentary, Hillary's America. Terrific. Is that now the, the number one or number two documentary of all time, something like that I read? Well, it's it's the number one documentary of this year, 2016. Okay. And, you know, you mentioned that you had seen the film and now have the DVD. Mm -hmm. It's actually a very different experience to see it now, because if you watch the movie in the theater, we were actually facing the real prospect of Hillary's America, almost a kind of nightmare in the making. And the movie was, in that sense, kind of a horror movie. <laughs> but now we've avoided Hillary's America, so there's a certain kind of delicious pleasure in watching the film now. You learn a lot. As you know, a lot of the film is not just about Hillary. Right. It's about progressivism and the Democratic Party. So most of the film is completely relevant, and yet you have that enormous satisfaction of knowing that we're not going to be actually living in Hillary's America, thank God. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I watched it at the movie theater, and i got to tell you, I got tense. I got... Uh, I got concerned for you as the movie, as you're slipping behind the door into the Democratic National Headquarters and, and stuff. And I know it was a movie and that nobody was really going to shoot you or anything. But uh, it, it, it illustrated to me my wife and I's concern for you. And, and have you experienced much political backlash or any? I mean, I know it was uh, you went through some tough times because of your previous documentary and how you were targeted are you still targeted? Do you still look over your shoulder? Well, I still have to be a little bit careful because as a result of my conviction for exceeding the campaign finance laws, you know, I have a felony conviction on my record. Mm. Um, and this was based on the vindictiveness of Obama and the Obama right. Justice Department. But uh, the Clintons are far worse. I mean, these people have been running like gangsters. And they've even been terrorizing. I mean, they've terrorized women who have made accusations against Bill. They've yes. even intimidated Democrats who don't go along with them within the Democratic Party. So, yeah, I would have reason to believe that if you weaponize Hillary and put at her disposal the FBI and the CIA and the Justice Department and the cops, you know, it's something I would have to worry about. But I'm really not worried about it now. Uh, I think it's actually Hillary who's got to be worried a little bit about in these investigations and what they will produce. I, I hope so. We've been speaking with Dinesh D'Souza, author of Hillary's America, the documentary Hillary's America. Dinesh, once again, it's a real honor talking with you. I love all your work. Can't wait for your next project. And uh, really appreciate you spending a little time with us today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun.
to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, it never ceases to amaze me that when the Democrats lose, suddenly they're all benevolent and want to give the winners advice. I learned a long time ago, you don't take advice from the losers. And look at what we've seen already. Look at what we've seen. One, they say that Hillary received the popular vote, but Donald got the electoral votes. So we want to eliminate the electoral vote system now. Now, for those of you that have have read about the Electoral College, it's genius. It's absolutely genius that our founding fathers came up with this plan to properly represent everybody in America. If you're going to eliminate the Electoral College, you're going to have to eliminate Congress because the Electoral College mimics the Senate and the House of Representatives. There's 538 electors in the Electoral College representing one for each senator, one for each representative. And each state has two senators, and each state has a number of representatives uh, that is proportionate to the population in that state. So let's say we just went back to, or not back to, but went to a, a simple majority vote, popular vote. What would happen? Well, a lot of things, but most of all, the candidates would not waste any time, any energy, any money in small communities. Everything would be the largest cities. So that's the only place they would campaign because that's the the largest number of votes that they could get for their energy. So rural America would not be represented at all. It would be simply big cities. Smaller states, less populous states would not be represented at all. Classical commentary, classical narrative from the losers. They want to abandon what didn't work for them this time. Now, in the past, they're all in favor of the Electoral College, whether they get the popular vote or not. But this time, now, think of the other aspect of the popular vote. How easy would it be to commit fraud? It'd be a lot easier. And, in fact, there's some reports out there that says Hillary didn't really get the popular vote because over 3 million illegal aliens voted. 3 million illegals voted. Now, what party do they traditionally vote for? That's right. They traditionally vote for the Democrats. Now, it's only been a week and a half, two weeks since the election. And we're, we're seeing all kinds of advice from the losers. Uh, uh, same with, with Bannon. Um, Donald Trump picks Bannon to be part of his his uh, cabinet and, and advisors. And 160-some uh, Democrats sign a letter asking President-elect Trump not to have him on his team. Now, if, if uh, uh, Democrats... Uh, were honest with themselves, why would they care who who Trump picks? That tells me that Trump is picking the right people. If it upsets the Democrats, it's picking the right people. The fortunate thing is, the beauty of Trump is, 
He doesn't care about the media. He doesn't care about the opposition. He's not going to cut deals with the losers. And the media were inaccurate, were dishonest in trying to get Hillary elected. And so what does he care about him? He's not going to kowtow to him. And uh, these riots going on, and they are riots. They are not protests. They are riots by rioters. Media loves this, loves it. Current leadership, President Obama, uh, senators, represent. none of them are condemning it because they like it, because it's against Trump. Once again, the final aspect of that is Trump doesn't care. He doesn't care. I'm getting sick already of all the negative articles. I read an article today about uh, Trump's wife, uh, how much her dress costs that she wore somewhere. It's $1,200 for this dress. Okay, well, who cares? Whose $1,200 was spent on the dress? Trump's. It was not taxpayer dollars. Want to start comparing money? Let's take a look at Michelle's wardrobe. See how much of our tax dollars was spent on that. That'll give us heartburn, I am sure. But anything they can come up with to complain about, to try to paint a negative, to try and influence you and I, they will do. Now, that's going to burn itself out very quickly, and fortunately. Um, MoveOn.org's money is going to be allocated somewhere else other than paying rioters and bussing them around, fortunately. And uh, then we'll go on to... business. But uh, Trump has been president-elect for uh, less than two weeks, and uh, look at all the crap that they're trying to to, uh, put out there, how much they're trying to influence us and take more control. It's going to get worse, but it will have the opposite effect of what they want. Coming up next, Wayne Allen Root. He's a former libertarian vice presidential nominee is going to be joining me. He's considered the capitalist evangelist. We're going to talk to him next about his latest book, Angry White Male. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Wayne Allen Root. He's a former Libertarian vice president nominee, and he's known as the capitalist evangelist for his enthusiastic and relentless defense of Reagan conservatism, libertarianism, economic freedom, and capitalism. His latest book, which, by the way, he's written about a half a dozen, is Angry White Male. You can find more information about Wayne, including a video commentary at Wayne's website, rootforamerica.com. That's root, R-O-O-T, for America.com. Wayne, welcome to An Economy of One. Hey, Gary, how are you? I'm well. Um, Seems like... We we do have an economy of one, by the way. It's an economy of Trump. That's right. (laughs) That's right. And and you're you're one of the very few, probably the only one I know, that uh, was absolutely confident that Trump was going to uh, 
win the the election, uh, geez, as far back as last year. Yeah, not only was I one of the few, if not the only one who predicted it uh, from day one until, you know, the final day, the election day, but stuck with it the entire time and convinced America to go with it and made a real case for Donald Trump throughout. It wasn't just that I predicted his victory. I helped to elect him. I, I made the case day and night why we had to have Donald Trump to save this economy. It was always based on the economy and, and terrorism to some extent, but most of the economy, middle class jobs, working class jobs. Um, so I did that again and again and again. I compared this to Brexit. I called it Trexit, meaning Brexit starring Donald Trump mm-hmm. is our version of Brexit called Trexit. <laughs> and, uh, and I even you know, proved before the election that the betting results in England on Brexit were the same as the bets coming in on Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump's election. Exact same odds, exact same percentage of bets, exact same big money bets, exact same small money bets, all indicating a pattern that Brexit was going to win and then a pattern that Trexit, Donald Trump's Brexit, was going to win. And uh, and it happened. So I, I feel very vindicated. And, uh, you know, a lot of people noticed. I even got uh, asked to address the International Association of Political Consultants in Denver last weekend. <clears throat> All the top political gurus in the world, the James Carvilles and the Carl Roves, and they asked me to say, how the hell did I know that Trump <laughs> was going to win? And how did I design the game plan? Because... I wrote the book, Angry White Male, that said this whole election is going to come down to 40 million angry white males. And they did, in fact, vote by 52-point landslide for Donald wow. Trump. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. One, how did you know back in 15 that he was going to win? And there was very few people, yourself, uh, I heard Dick Morris talk about it after the election, which is 2020 hindsight, not a great gift. Right. But what gave you the indication that there was a big big block of voters that were essentially not recognized or ignored or or just not acknowledged? Well, I mean, I think it comes when you know yourself. It was me that gave me that idea. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. when, when Obama took office as president, um, my health insurance for my family of six was $500 a month, and he told me how terrible it was, and I kept arguing it was fantastic, and it paid for everything, and it was reasonable. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure, I'd like it to be 300 a month instead of 500 a month, but I, I didn't want it to go to 1,000 or triple to 1,500 or quadruple to 2,000. Well, guess what? As of today, I just got my latest notice. It's going to be 1,900 and change. Wow. So here's a guy who told me how terrible 500 a month was, and in order to give health insurance free to millions of people, he quadrupled me. He jacked me from 500 to 1,900 and change. And here's the thing that's amazing. Nothing is covered at 1,900. <laughs> Everything was covered by Aetna at 500, now they say no to everything and they find new excuses to say no. He has destroyed the middle class, destroyed small business, destroyed job creation, and I gave this speech in Denver. This is what I addressed the political gurus of the world. That that, uh, in 2009, Barack Obama owned the world. He had led the Democratic Party to complete and utter victory, capitulation by the Republicans. He had the presidency. He had the House. He had the Senate, filibuster-proof Senate. He had the biggest margins everywhere. He had all the governors. He had all the state houses. And now it's only eight years later, and put fill in the blank, Republicans now own everything I just said. The White House, the Senate, the House, by the largest margins since 1928. 
all the governorships, two-thirds of the state legislatures, the mayors, you name it, the country is completely red. And what caused that incredible flip? Well, it, it's in 2009, Obama just been elected. Democrats were in great shape. Yep. By 2010, they had jammed through Obamacare. That's why I opened this whole interview by mentioning my rates of Obamacare. Mm -hmm. This is what ruined the Democratic Party. They wiped out middle-class and working-class America, which happens to be predominantly white, which is why I wrote the book angry white male and lots and lots of white people you know and, mm -hmm. and black people and latinos but primarily white middle class people lost their entire budgets to their tripling of health care so that other people could have it free and i'm sure those other people are very happy and they're obama's voters but he shouldn't be surprised that the people who lost their whole budget are not happy and they're not obama's voters and they voted for donald trump and the republican party you've lost the entire country with your obsession with obamacare and the Democratic Party, if they don't steer, steer, you know, change direction and steer the other way, are going to stay out of power for many years and decades to come. You know, and I don't think I'd break uh, too many hearts, at least uh, not here in the the uh, Midwest and and uh, middle class. In reading your columns, your book called "Angry White Male," and, and you, you, some of the previous columns, you talked about that, but it's really angry white male and females, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that was the only thing I got wrong. If I could have renamed the book, it would be... And, and I did, by the way, just to show you, at the time, I sold the book to the publisher um, called Angry White Male. Then I went back to the publisher, is a true-to-God story, went back to the publisher and said, I've had some second, second thoughts. Let's call it Angry White Voter, not Angry White Male. So we include men and women. Sure. And the publisher said, no, we had a, you know, they had a meeting, and they said, we decided that it's always better to keep things specific and not be too general. We think you had a right to first time and if you don't mind we want to leave it that way and I said alright fine go ahead and so we left it angry white male but then I started opening up Donald Trump's events in Las Vegas mm -hmm. I was the opening speaker and master of ceremonies for Donald numerous times six times and every time the audience was 60% women wow. white working class middle class women like Donald as much as white working class and middle class men and I started to realize that this really was a revolution of both but, but my book still wasn't wrong because look white women voted 53% for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. He won them. But 53 is pretty darn close. 53-47. That's a six-point victory. Men, white men, voted 52 points for Donald Trump. 52-point wow. landslide versus a six-point 53-47 win. That's incredible. So certainly the men have it, but, but yeah. both, both were part of the equation, men and women. Yeah, well, you know, in the next edition of the book, you can cross out mail and put voter and, and uh, sell a million copies again. So there you go. we'll, we'll there you be go. there. But, you know, that, that being said, uh, I know you've kind of touched on it, but what is the angry white voter? I mean, what, what characteristics, what economic class are they in? What yeah. Religious? That's an easy answer for me, Gary. Really okay. easy because it's, it's kind of the opening of my book is that, look, uh, you know, I open the book by saying any Democrat or any liberal who wants to make this into a racist screed is wrong. Uh, couldn't be further from the truth. It's got nothing to do with race. And you go, well, but isn't the name angry white male? Yeah, all the name really signifies is it's about me and my testimony. That I'm white, that I'm male, and I'm angry. It's got nothing to do with ever putting down any other group or any other race, but I can only speak for myself as a white 
white kid growing up on the Bronx borderline in a very working class, middle class neighborhood, a very ethnically diverse neighborhood, mostly Italian, Irish, Polish, and Jewish. Um, I grew up in that neighborhood, and every kid I knew, they were all white, and they all believed the same things I did, were taught by their parents, a love of God and country and family and constitution and Judeo-Christian values and capitalism and the military and the police. Now, those are the things that we believed in. Mm-hmm. And, and you could also argue small business, another institution we believed in, military, police, and small business. Those were the institutions we revered, and we were taught they were the reason America is the greatest nation in world history, God and, and marriage, you know, and, and Judeo-Christian values and all these great institutions. And all of them are under attack for the last eight years under Barack Obama. And that's what has angry white males and females so angry that the things we were raised to believe in, I can't speak for what a black person or a Latino person or an Indian believes in, uh, an Asian believes in. I can only speak to what I know that I believe in, and I believe in the police, they're under attack. I believe in the military, they're under attack. They're being disassembled by Barack Obama. I believe in small business. It's been under attack for, for eight years. What do you call, you didn't build that, you know, Obama's right. famous statement. What do you call Hillary's statement that the media never brought up? She said, businesses don't create jobs, government does. Really? I didn't realize that. I thought it was business that small business that created two-thirds of all jobs, and big business creates the other third, and, and government creates jobs that cost us money as taxpayers. They don't make us anything. They may be necessary. I love cops and firefighters, as an example, but they still cost you money. Cops don't make you money. They cost you money. They have salaries. They have pensions. They have health benefits. Only small business creates jobs that don't cost you anything and pay into the system. So you need more of those and less of the others. So they got it all wrong and all backwards. So that's why I wrote this book, and that's I knew that if Donald Trump tapped into that anger and he resonated with working in middle-class white people, he could expand the tent in a way I recommended in my book that no one else in America talked about. You can expand the tent without adding more black or Hispanic voters. All you have to do is add more white people who feel disenfranchised, four to six million, and you'll win the election. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly. That being said, I'm going to ask you two questions. One of them, I think, is kind of a uh, a loaded question, so I apologize. But one, (laughs) would you honestly say that Donald Trump, President-elect Trump, has a mandate? And what's he going to do? I mean, he he obviously got there based on that angry white voter, that middle-class voter, uh, values, American values, that kind of stuff. What's he going to do next? Well, he definitely has a mandate. You know, people are going to say, oh, well, he didn't win the popular vote. First of all, he won a landslide electorally, and that's the only way you campaign. This is what liberals don't understand, is that in baseball, you can hit singles and win a game. You can hit home runs and win a game. But if you win the game 11-0 with 11 home runs, uh, you know, the singles didn't matter very much. And I'd rather have Babe Ruth on my team than a singles hitter. And so, you know, guess what? The way elections are won is, you know, it's possible to win them by the popular vote, just like you win a baseball game with singles. But I'd rather win it with the electoral vote. That's how you win an election. That's the way it's set up to win. So the game was played by Donald as if it was Celebrity Apprentice. Donald knows how to play games and win. He knows how to play Survivor and come out ahead. His partner in Celebrity Apprentice is Mark Burnett, who invented Survivor. Donald's the ultimate reality game show player. He knows how to win, and guess what? The only way to win is to campaign in Wisconsin and Iowa and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Ohio and win those states. It doesn't pay to campaign in New York or California. So Donald knew the popular didn't matter. Donald knew California didn't matter. He never went there. Right. You know, he only went to those smart Midwest states, Florida and uh, North Carolina. 
Other than that, that's where he was. He stayed in about 10 states, and he wound up winning almost every single one of them, and that's how you win an election. So he did win a mandate. He played the game correctly and won an electoral landslide. And by the way, on the popular vote side, a uh, new study just came out. Three million illegals voted, and you know every yes. single one of them voted Democrat. Yes. So he did win the popular vote among Americans, maybe not among foreigners in America illegally, but among Americans, Donald <laughs> Trump won the popular and the electoral. And then I just, you know, jotted off to you a minute ago the fact that we control as Republicans House, Senate, now the Supreme Court, presidency, uh, two-thirds of governors, two-thirds of state legislatures. We got it all, man. We, got, we even have two-thirds of, of lieutenant governors and two-thirds of sta- secretaries of state. Right. We've got everything. Of course we have a mandate. So you got to erase Obama like he never happened. That's the mandate we've got, to walk in from the first day and erase everything he's done. Climate change legislation, the climate change pact with Paris, uh, name the right Supreme Court justice, get rid of Obamacare, build a wall, lower taxes, kill as many regulations as he can and stop the IRS audits and uh, of, of critics of the president and of small businessmen, and you have a great America again, and Donald Trump will be reelected by a gigantic proportion. Uh, let, let us not forget uh, Dodd-Frank. That, that, that's the bane oh, of Dodd my Frank, existence. Oh, disassemble, yes. yes. Dodd-Frank should be disassembled as well. And again, there might be little parts of each of these you keep. I don't know right. much about the little details of Dodd-Frank, but I know... Donald's correct in Obamacare. You, you know, I think almost everyone in America uh, who works for a living wants you to get rid of Obamacare, but I think the rest of America wants you to keep uh, the fact that kids are on the policy to live 26, their parents' policy, yeah. and that, you know, a few things like that, and the pre-existing conditions, you get cancer, and, you know, you don't, you don't wind up being dropped by your insurer. So Donald's brilliant that he doesn't want to completely kill it. He wants to keep a couple little good things in it. Right, right. And, and that's what should have been done in the first place, to, to right. take the, you know, across state line competition, that Correct. kind of stuff, you know. So my guest is Wayne Allen Root. He's former Libertarian vice president nominee and uh, known as a capitalist evangelist, and now we all know why. So uh, author of the new book, Angry White Male. Uh, Wayne, this has been a real treat for me. Uh, looking forward to reading your book. Your publisher told me they're sending me one, so... Uh, Looking Great. forward to read through that, and when I'm done with it, I always read them before I interview the author. When I'm done reading with that, uh, I hope I can tap you on the shoulder and we can chat again. Yeah, I think it's a great Christmas gift. I hope all your followers and listeners and fans think about it to put under the Christmas tree for uh, for any conservative in your life, male or female. You will just read this book. Now it's going to be fun to read it. See, it was yes. a guess yes. before. Now it's a fact. Everything I put in that book wound up happening. And you'll read it and go, how did he know? Did he have a crystal ball? <laughs> You're going to love this book for Christmas. Angry White Mail. Excellent. Well, we'll put it on the website and Facebook. And uh, looking forward to chatting with you again. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, every day, every day I'm reminded that I think I made the right decision for myself in not having any children. If I'd have had children, they'd be in college or maybe be out of college now, but let's say I, I waited a while and they, they, they would be in college. If any of my kids needed puppies, Play-Doh, and coloring books to deal with an election in this country, I don't know if I'd disown them, but I'd sure cut off the money. I'm, I, I would not pay that kind of money for college today 
to have them create a Rathbun snowflake. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. It's interesting that these colleges feel that need. They're setting up cry rooms so people can go and cry and comfort each other. Bringing in puppies. Play-Doh. Play-Doh. I, I never heard of Play-Doh as a therapy, but apparently it is. Coloring books. Now, I don't know whether it's the coloring books you buy for five-year-olds or the ones that adults are buying, you know, those complex uh, designs that they color with uh, $20 pencils and that kind of stuff. But really, they're so distraught. Well, I'll tell you why they're distraught. Having not had any children, that makes me an expert on children. And they're distraught for several reasons. One, mom and dad are wusses. Okay, that, that's a, the first thing. I mean, you, you don't. You don't reach snowflake status at 18, 19 years old without uh, having pre-snowflake status at home. That's for, for sure. Second, they just figured out that they're not getting free college. Hillary was out there. Bernie was out there. Free college for everyone. We're going to forgive all the student loans. And uh, you, you notice uh, the last few years, as, as Hillary has been deemed the heir apparent, the undisputed successor to President Obama, they always talked about forgiving all the student loans and free college for everybody. And student loans have gone through the roof. We're at $1.3, $1.4 trillion in student loans, and a third, a third of them are in default. So you know they were planning on not paying that off. They were planning on Hillary getting in there and forgiving everybody's college tuition debt and uh, making college free from then on. And it's not going to happen. So uh, I can see why they're they're a little sad about that. They probably uh, planned on all that free money and uh, spent like uh, drunken sailors. And uh, now it's not going to happen. So they're setting up cry rooms. Now, I, I forget the, the congressman who's... Uh, putting it out there, but he's got this legislation that's been nicknamed Suck It Up Buttercup, and he wants to cut off federal funding to universities who spend money, uh, federal dollars, setting up comfort rooms and therapy dogs and Play-Doh and coloring books, and I think it's a great idea. I think it's great. Why should taxpayer money be spent on these kids? Now, my uh, longtime business partner, Doug, his son is a student at Ohio State University. And he had a text to his dad that uh, Doug showed me that uh, he was very proud of, and I don't blame him. I would have been proud of it, too, that uh, um, commented on these snowflakes. And, 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 and uh, Doug's son said, I can't wait to get out into the economy and compete with these people. Can't wait to compete with them. Reality is going to eat them alive. That explains to me why so many of them, their goal is to get a government job out of college. Get a government job, then they can be a snowflake the rest of their lives. And they can raise a whole bunch of little snowflakes and uh, perpetuate the snowflake species forever. But I wouldn't pay one dime for my kid to go to any of these universities. And I'm sure as heck not going to hire anybody from these universities going forward. I want you to have a great day. 
be an individual, be self-reliant, be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. See you next time. This is the views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. 